0: Good morning, good morning, and welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. Benny, we made it to the end of March.
1: We did. March we madness. certainly did. I know. It's it's still wild and then wacky.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll do a little astrology check-in in a minute, but yeah, it's about to get Crazier. I know. March <laughs> madness is going into April craziness or something. I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, to everybody out there, uh, get yourself a nice cup of coffee or <laughs> an herbal tea. And I posted something on my Facebook the other day that says herbal tea tastes so much better when it's coffee. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but please, you know, make your heart happy. Uh, I am the owner of Reiki Oasis, located right here in the greater Seattle area for the last 27 years. We do lots of wonderful things over there. You can find out more about that at ReikiOasis.com. And then also, um, I do have a Reiki Masterclass coming up the second Saturday in April, April 9th. And if you're interested in learning Reiki, uh, you can check it out at Schedule.ReikiOasis.com or just send me an email at ReikiOasis at gmail.com and get some more information um and then i just want to check in with astrology a a very quickly and then bring my guest on because we have a lot of wonderful things to talk about today you're going to love the show so welcome to the end of march and tomorrow is april 1st it is not for the foolish (laughs) It might be for fools, because fools rush in, right? You know what's wild, Loretta? If
1: you don't mind me jumping in here with us. I know it's a busy day for many. I'm usually on my A game right out the gate. You know, like about eight hours into it, everyone's kind of doing their little foolish thing. And I'll let my guard down for like one second, and then I get followed for it. Like, it's just, I can't do it. I can't go all day. It's weird.
0: I know. I hear you. It's there.
1: Maybe it's just because I'm so gullible. I don't know. I tend to be <laughs> You're like uh, do I, say? Uh, I don't know. I tend that. to be gullible,
0: but I think sensitive people sometimes, you know ah. and, and, you know, people with good hearts. I'm Aww. gonna put it that way. You know, we believe in the goodness of the world. I know, hearts and love. Sorry what? everybody
2: <laughs>
0: Specifically for me, that's so sweet. Um, you know, we tend to trust people over and over again, Benny, and then here we are. Yeah, what right. Yeah, <laughs> All uh, right. Well that makes
1: good sense. Thank you
0: yeah there it is yeah so we are actually ending March and beginning April with a new moon in Aries and the strong presence of Chiron the wounded healer conjunct the Sun meaning the Sun is shining on the healing hopefully not the wound hmm we'll have to take a look at that so the energy is going to help us turn our wounds into sources of strength wisdom, and healing. And it really, starting the month like this is really setting the stage for the entire month of April. April is full of irritations, which might just be uh, opportunities for growth, right, or potentials to kind of rub off that roughness so that we can shine, you know, sort of like when they put stones in and polish them. When I was a little girl, we used to go to Agate Beach in Oregon all the time. One oh, of my yeah. favorite places on the planet. Mm-hmm. And we would always find these Agates, you know, these raw Agates. And then my cousins had these polishing machines and I was fascinated. Yeah, I like was those like,
1: little tumblers you could oh, buy. Oh yeah, the
0: tumblers. Those were the best. Yeah, it was just the best. Mm-hmm. And they would come out and they would be just like, oh, they're so Sparkling. beautiful. Sparkling. Yeah. Yeah, I still have a bunch of them. So anyway, that's kind of what's happening. So maybe you're going to go from that rough surface to that beautiful shiny wonderful person the two biggest cosmic events in april are the alignment of jupiter and neptune in pisces on april 12th everyone is talking about it get ready for it and the taurus solar new moon eclipse on the 30th This it's it's hot 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 big happenings april 4th through 6th mars and saturn Mars and Saturn. Mars, <laughs> Mars is about war, <laughs> so, or heated energy, <laughs> right? And Saturn is sometimes called the the karmic lord, right? Makes us look at stuff. But they're conjunct in Aquarius, which is about new thought, new way of being, and it can bring harsh truths to the surface. That's the fourth through the sixth. And at this time, we cannot ignore our responsibilities. We can no longer drag our feet or slack off or procrastinate. Uh, The energies are not going to let you do it. The energy may bring the need for quick action. It can also be volatile and bring things to a head that could be personally. It could be globally. On April 12th, like I mentioned, the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction in Pisces is not only the event of the month, but of the year. Jupiter and Neptune align in our cosmic skies every 13 years or so, but this is the first time they've come together in Pisces in over 166 years for another 166 years this is the most intense energetic combination as jupiter is considered the ancient ruler of pisces and neptune is considered the modern ruler of pisces hmm two rulers two kings come together one of them old and one of them new i'm just letting that sink in So this is very high vibration. Neptune is the planet of unconditional love and Jupiter is the planet of expansion, love and expansion. What? And as they join forces, or will they join forces, we can be reminded of our connection to each other. Rather than seeing division, we can see that we are connected, that we all deserve love and separation is just an illusion. We can do that. Or we can go the other way hmm it encourages us to go in a positive direction and under this energy, the universe will be offering waves of energy that support unity coming together enhancing life. Raising our consciousness, whatever that means, and we'll be aware that even though Jupiter and Neptune can trigger spiritual growth and new vision, it can also create a disconnect from reality that can show up in escaping and unhealthy behaviors. Jupiter and Neptune also influence water. There may be flooding or water issues or high emotions with lots of watery tears. So have your hankies close by. There's nothing wrong with crying, by the way. It's, it's chemical, cell it's chemical. It's good for you. Um, this energy, though, is going to be tugging and calling forward healers, psychics, creatives like artists and musicians and people that do creative things and spiritual teachers. And it's gonna awaken your gifts or your desire to serve and help, but offer the gifts to the world, which is the best thing you can do. So as Neptune energy can be dreamy or vague, you might also be having dreams, visions. A lot of our life is mm, tied in with that dreamy world. So this is the time to become more familiar with and comfortable with your own intuition and always 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 when we're in these great spaces of growth ground yourself deeply put your roots deep down into that earth do things that remind you that you are a human in a body and uh, (laughs) i don't know sometimes it goes back to the basics right that's what it is you know when your kids are all worn out betting when those twins you know they need sleep and water and exercise and
1: Yep. Yeah, it's all in. Uh, I guess you'd have to. Yep. Oh, did you hear me there? I'm back there. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, it's all in. Uh, I guess um, relaxation. You have to kind of manage it all appropriately. A little bit of here, a little bit of there. It all kind of just. You got to take care of yourself. You can't do it all at once,
0: especially with yeah. the twins.
1: Especially with twins. Right. With twins. Yeah, loving it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I have twins inside me. No, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs>
1: Except for another good, show? Like, i have good. The gonna... good
0: Loretta and the bad Loretta? I don't know. Anyway. I'm curious
1: about where you were going to go
0: with that one. Right.
1: Wait, is it that? Is it April Fool's Day? Oh, no, that's that's, that's, that's No, no, that's, <laughs> yeah. tomorrow. that's tomorrow. All
0: right. Phew. Anyway, uh, I want to bring my guest on. We're going to have a great, uh, wonderful conversation after all of that. My guest this week is Jeffrey Mishlov, PhD. Jeffrey is a licensed clinical psychologist and accomplished radio and television interviewer. He's the host of thinking aloud. I love that. And one of the most articulate personalities on television. He is the author of many wonderful books. And and one of them is a very encyclopedic volume, The Roots of Consciousness. He also wrote The PK Man, a true story of mind over matter, which presents the results of his tenure case study involving UFO appearances, power blackouts, Ending of droughts and other large scale phenomena, He holds the world's only doctoral diploma in parapsychology ever awarded by an accredited university. It's really quite the accomplishment. And in November, Jeffrey was the first place winner of the Bigelow Institute in Las Vegas essay competition for his essay beyond the brain, the survival of human consciousness after permanent bodily death wow fascinating welcome to the show jeffrey i'm so glad to have you
2: thank you loretta it's a pleasure to be with you
0: yeah i uh, i have so much like you are you're really an expert in encyclopedia of all kinds of things um i would love to just jump in and say and ask you what is a parapsychology what is your definition of that so just to jump in
2: is a scientific field, the Parapsychological Association is an affiliate organization of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, and parapsychology basically studies three things, extrasensory perception, the ability, telepathy, clairvoyance, precognition, psychokinesis or mind over matter, which can include healing, and the question of the survival of consciousness after permanent bodily death.
0: That's wonderful. I love it. Uh, I have to ask you, how did you get involved in that? I mean, (laughs) what, what
2: (laughs) what drew you to parapsychology? Well, I started out as a pretty conventional person Uh, growing up in the Midwest. My father owned a furniture store, and I imagined I'd probably uh, take over the furniture business. Uh, But as I uh, got into college in in the 1960s, it was a a time of, uh, I don't know how many of your viewers or listeners remember the 60s, but it was a time of incredible ferment. And pretty soon I got, uh, how can I put it gently? I became part of the wave of young people using psychedelics. I became interested in mysticism. I actually wrote a senior honors thesis at the University of Wisconsin in 1969 on the psychology of religious mysticism. And I went into it thinking, I will describe forms of psychopathology that people have that give them the deluded idea that they can see spirits and the like. But as I began studying, I came across the work of people like Abraham Maslow, who had studied the most successful people in our culture. And he pointed out that they pretty much all have had mystical experiences that they regard as central. To, to their success in life. And that, that caused me to have a change of heart about the whole field. And shortly after that, I began having all kinds of psychic experiences of my own that uh, led me to drop out of the program I was in at Berkeley at the time, criminology, and create <laughs> a unique degree in parapsychology. Yeah, those are related. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they both have to do with human deviance. And I, I was studying crime and uh, psychopathology. And I, after what happened is my great uncle Harry died. And he came to me in a dream at the moment of his death. It was such a powerful dream. I've never had a, a dream like that before or since. And that was 50 years ago. Wow. I woke up from that dream crying tears of joy and singing uh, one of the most sacred songs in the Jewish religious liturgy. And at that point, I realized I had to shift. Instead of studying negative forms of human deviance, which you can study at any university, I wanted to study the positive side and it was almost impossible. They don't have courses in parapsychology and mysticism and creativity and intuition, hardly at all at any universities. So I, I struggled over this. And to be honest, I was guided by dreams to, uh, to in fact, to do what I'm doing with you right now, or you're doing with me right now, to become an interviewer on the radio. My dreams led me there. And which was a surprise because at the time, I didn't own a radio or a TV. <laughs> I didn't believe in them. I was this long-haired hippie who, who thought that all electronic communication was phony baloney, that the only meaningful communication had to be face-to-face. But at that moment, I changed my mind. I went and volunteered at the local nonprofit radio station in Berkeley, KPFA Pacifica Radio, And they said to me, uh, here, sit at this desk. And when you hear somebody uh, press the doorbell and the the buzzer, you push this button and let them in the front door. And (laughs) even though I had my master's degree by then, I was glad to do it. And within three weeks, I had learned how to produce a radio program. And the program director liked it so much, he, he said, we have a regular slot for you every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. And all of a sudden I was sitting across a table with world-class experts in the very fields that I wanted to learn about, and with 10,000 people or more listening in. And that's what gave me the confidence to go back to the university and create my own individual interdisciplinary doctoral major in parapsychology.
0: Wow, I love your story so much. There's so much in there. Um, I, I I want you to. Which question should I ask first? <laughs> <laughs> like I need like ten mouths. No, don't don't say anything. Don't say. That. <laughs> Um, so you, um, I do want to touch on this degree that you have in parapsychology and then I want to go back and talk about dreams a little more is what I'd love to do. So please talk about this degree because this is actually a big deal and I want people to get it.
2: Well yeah. let, let me say this. there okay. are probably several hundred people who did, doctoral level research on parapsychological topics. The only thing that makes my degree unique is I have a diploma that says parapsychology on it. The others all have uh, diplomas that don't say uh, it just that way. In England today, there are a dozen universities where you can do research in parapsychology. Uh, So uh, the field is slowly expanding. And um, more so in Europe, I think, than in the United States these days. Unfortunately, since I got my degree in 1980, there hasn't been a single doctoral diploma in parapsychology awarded in the United States. Uh, Although uh, there's maybe one or two schools where you can do parapsychology research and get a diploma that says psychology
0: yeah um i could ask the question why do you think that is why why are they not issuing that why are not they they not presenting a study in that area
2: well to be honest there's enormous hostility in the uh professional field especially psychology and in the sciences Uh, because we live in a materialistic culture. You mentioned this interesting conjunction of Jupiter and Neptune that goes Mm -hmm. back 166 years. That was really the height of the materialistic culture in uh, Western Mm -hmm. civilization. And uh, now we're at a point where uh, I think many people realize materialism is a dead end. Materialism is yeah. leading us to, amongst other things, pollute the planet. Materialism is leading people to pursue uh, personal acquisition of various toys and commodities at the expense of uh, our each other and the planet itself and living organisms that, uh, that are dying out because of the way we're treating the planet. But even more directly in fields like physics. We understand that uh, when you probe down to the subatomic level, uh, you're no longer even dealing with what we think of as dead material. At at the quantum level, uh, matter isn't, isn't what we used to think it was, like tiny little ping pong balls or billiard balls bouncing off of each other. Uh, some people say it's all mathematical or it's all information, but there's a growing group of people who say, no, it's consciousness. Consciousness itself is the basis of reality and the whole universe is alive.
0: Well, wow, that brings up a, a big question like, what is consciousness? Um, does that exist outside of us? Does the brain create consciousness? What is, what is consciousness?
2: Well, well, conventionally, of course, anybody in the field of neuroscience will tell you that the brain creates consciousness. And back about 25, 35 years ago, I interviewed Francis Crick, the Nobel laureate, who was the one who discovered the double helix nature of DNA, which probably one of the great discoveries of the 20th century. And... He had just published a book called *The Astonishing Hypothesis*, With, and his hypothesis was the brain creates <laughs> consciousness. So I was interviewing about him, him about it, and he he said to me, "You know, it's just a hypothesis. Most people think it's already been proven, but it hasn't been." He said, "In fact, the religious point of view that consciousness survives the death of the body could actually be correct." and uh, in uh, in my studies i would say of course it is correct the evidence is overwhelming if you look at it but people who have a materialistic bias don't even want to look at the evidence they pretend it doesn't exist so there you yeah, have
0: yeah yeah i um It to me, you know, because we are going to be talking about the afterlife, you know, because that is the um, uh, that what you wrote your essay on. Right. And also you have so much other information, but it it, I think it is one of those things where people are like, what is it? You know, what is consciousness? What what is the human? And yeah, is there life after death? Does anything continue on or when we're dead? Are we just dead? You know, what does that mean?
2: We could spend the whole hour just trying to dig into that. But let me say that when I talk about consciousness, we all understand our personal consciousness. We know what that is. But it would be a mistake to think that my personal consciousness is, is what the universe was born out of. So we have this idea of consciousness or mind at large that there's a larger consciousness that our personal consciousness is embedded in and and so you could say it's not so much that the brain creates consciousness but that consciousness creates the brain
0: oh yeah okay you say stuff and i have to sit with it it sinks in i get it um, we're gonna go ahead and take a little station break. I think this is a good point to do it because l- I literally have so many questions for you, Jeffrey. I- I'm jumbling around a little bit because everything is like 10 questions. Um, this is Loretta Brown, my guest today, Jeffrey Bigelow, or excuse me, <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. Maybe there's yeah. something there, <laughs> Jeffrey Mishlove, PhD. And we're going to be talking about his uh, essay, Beyond the Brain, their survival of human consciousness after permanent bodily death. And also he was the first place winner of the Piccolo Institute Essay Contest in Las Vegas. And so apparently you're part of the family. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we've got lots of great things to talk about. Don't go away, we'll be right back.
1: Did you know that Reiki healing can be done at a distance? It's true. So let Reiki Oasis focus powerful energy to help relieve your stress, grief, sadness, anger, and so much more convenient personalized treatments at a distance can increase lightness of being during your appointment find a quiet place to lie down or sit to receive healing energies if you want help with your dis-ease visit ReikiOasis.com. harness life's energy visit
2: ReikiOasis.com today have something important to say want to help improve our world need to promote your business uniquely and effectively kknw is the answer Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Saving Great Animals, a Seattle-based dog rescue organization, matches families with dogs that are the best fit. Dogs that come
0: from overcrowded animal control shelters, from abandonment or neglect. The key to Saving Great Animals' success is a trial adoption program, including training and counsel as needed. This way, you know you have the right dog before the adoption is final. Saving Great Animals relies solely on donations, so please visit Saving Great Animals animals.org today
2: alternative talk 1150 here to uplift your day
0: Woohoo! Thank, thank you benny yeah by the way i do believe in dance breaks you know and and that could just be like you know uh, sometimes just have to do it right get the energy yeah. moving Anyway, welcome back to the original Loretta Brown Show. I am Loretta Brown. You can find out more about me at ReikiOasis.com and also the archives at KKNW 1150 AM. These shows are archived. You can download them and listen to them. And of course, we're on Podcast One, iTunes, Spotify. We're all over the place. So um, make sure that you enjoy all of that. My guest this week is Jeffrey Mishlov, PhD, and he really is. Uh, I don't know, Jeffrey, you've got so many uh, radio, television interviews out there. You've got wonderful books out there. And we are talking about his essay, Beyond the Brain, The Survival of Human Consciousness After Permanent Bodily Death. Um, Before the break and during the break, I was asking you about your Uncle Harry, which was this afterlife encounter. Um, I wanted to ask you, I also had an experience Actually, the morning my father died where I woke up and he was standing next to the bed and said, can I go and I was sleepy and I said yes, and then I went I sat up and went what. And then I got a call that he had just passed, so I want to ask you when do most communications afterlife communications take place, is there a normal time for that or.
2: It turns out that a very high percentage of them occur right at the moment of of death. That's an especially profound moment. And I know researchers who have studied it carefully feel that uh, it's often right after death or shortly thereafter that uh, people on the other side want to visit their loved ones to say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. But, of course, they can occur well after that is also,
0: yeah, yeah. I've interviewed a lot of people, and uh, there is quite often that that appearance or that connection. and often people have no prior experience with this sort of thing. It just happens, and so they don't know who to talk to or what to say because <laughs> you know we don't want to be labeled crazy, right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you've done a lot of um, research into this. You have a lot of information. Um, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Um, How does the parapsychology community view the evidence for an afterlife?
2: It's tricky because... uh, Before parapsychology became a recognized science, there was an earlier discipline called psychical research founded in 1882 in England, and they really focused on life after death. But then In the 1930s, J.B. Ryan at Duke University began doing experiments on ESP, card guessing experiments, dice throwing experiments, and psychokinesis. And he began developing statistical double-blind experiments showing that human, living humans, have this ability, psychic abilities. And people quickly noticed that you could probably explain away all the evidence for survival after death by saying, oh, this is simply the psychic ability of living people. And uh, so Ryan Mm -hmm. felt that for the time being, let's focus on that. We can measure it. We can study it more scientifically than life after death. And so the parapsychology community by and large has leaned in favor of studying. Uh, psychic abilities of living people, and we most of them say we can deal with life after death. Maybe sometime in the future, when we have better scientific techniques than than we currently have.
0: Um, I, I'm thinking while you're talking because I have heard people say things like, "Well, that is just in the memory field of that person, right? Mm-hmm. Like that per, that that deceased person isn't really around. It's just." there
2: their memories yeah
0: yeah you talk about um i have a a little chart here called the spectrum of arrows uh and there's one two three four five you have nine nine things right and can you talk about these things that help i would say prove the afterlife you know
2: yeah nine different independent lines of evidence that Mm -hmm. all point in the direction of survival after death. The obvious ones are communication from spiritualist mediums, but there's also reincarnation research. Uh, The University of Virginia, for example, they've been studying reincarnation memories of young children almost as soon as they begin to speak, talk about their past life memories. They have over 2,700 cases like this in their files that have been researched, and approximately 1,700 of them have been solved in the sense that the information provided by the young children is sufficient to actually identify who the previous person was. So that's important. There's also near-death experience. We now know millions of people have had these near-death experiences and for them it's like going to heaven and coming back and they've done studies in hospitals now where people are uh, in the hospital uh, typically for heart problems. They have a cardiac arrest right there in the hospital. Approximately 18% of the people who have a cardiac arrest and are revived have these near-death experiences where they report essentially an afterlife encounter. You have deathbed visions, and and you have Mm -hmm. people who are communicating electronically with the deceased. (laughs) There are tens of thousands of hobbyists using uh, electronic equipment, radios, computers, uh, and they claim that they're having two-way conversations with their loved ones using uh, these techniques. Some of them have been recorded. And uh, while many of these communications are hard for a stranger to make out, some of them are very clear and distinct and unmistakable. So I, um, if you add all of this up and, and a few other categories in, in there as well, uh, the evidence is overwhelming that uh, survival after death is actually occurring
0: your essay to me was fascinating um i really enjoyed it i I listened to a lot of the little videos you had attached to it but i i want to say this that as you're going through it you know because i love these nine areas here um all of these areas in 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 my opinion are highly talked about and 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 you bring forth evidence right you have this empirical evidence which is so lovely to take a look at because you have in there for instance um you know with uh, with um i'm going to say you have these stories about uh people who were like the, the Shiva, uh, I think it's Sumitra or something,
2: you know. You have Shiva this, Sumitra case is yes. uh, a case of possession. That's a very strong case.
0: Yeah. And can you tell the audience about that? Because I was fascinated by that. And what yes. is the difference between that? I mean, you know, people talk about possessions in a, a very negative way, like you're possessed yeah. by a demon or something. But can you please talk about that?
2: Sometimes it's called replacement reincarnation. And in in this instance there in India, there was a woman named Sumitra Singh and she got ill. And uh, her parents even thought she was dead. They were getting ready to cremate the body when all of a sudden she sat up and uh, looked around. And the interesting thing is this is a family uh, where uh S- Sumitra Singh was was a young, uneducated woman, but all of a sudden we've got an educated woman sitting up, one who is now speaking uh, in a different accent. And she says, I don't recognize who these people are. My name is Shiva, Shiva Tripathi. I am not Sumitra. Uh, I was murdered a few months ago and and she wakes up in this body. She describes the experience. I was in the paradise with Yama, the Lord of Death, and he arranged for me to be able to return in this body. And eventually, it turned out the Tripati family, who lived about 60 miles away in another village, they heard about this case, that somebody claiming to be their deceased daughter was um. Manifesting through uh, the body of another woman and uh, the family came and uh, at this point, Shiva, she insisted on being called Shiva, recognized all of her family members, talked to them, hugged them, asked about her children and uh, they accepted her as their daughter. even tried to find work for uh, her husband, because now, you know, uh, Sumitra Singh's husband is, is still married to this woman in this body, so Shiva ends up, you know, being married to a man she didn't know, but she lived out her life that way. Many researchers uh, uh followed this case. Uh, Shiva lived in the body of Sumitra about 13 more years, the entire time. She insisted she was Shiva, she was not Sumitra, she had Shiva's memories, she didn't have Sumitra's memories. Um, so it stands as one of the very strongest cases that we have for survival after death.
0: Yeah, I was fascinated by that. Um... Uh, and I was, I, I don't actually know if there was a movie out about it, but it seems to me that I watched something a few months ago. There's always this weird synchronicity, right?
2: You know, BBC News did a uh, ah. story on the case. And I actually included a video excerpt from BBC News in the essay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I must've been getting ready for talking to you, you know, cause I saw that um, when we talk about reincarnation you mention in your essay something about intermission memories. What are intermission memories and what is the length of intermission time between lives?
2: Well, yes, if, if we you know, look at reincarnation, there's usually a period of time when one remains in the afterlife before being uh, entering into a new incarnation and that period of time seems to vary culture by culture but maybe it's because uh, in some in western culture it could be 30 40 years whereas in uh, eastern culture particularly in burma it might be a matter of months so uh, our, we need more data before we can yeah. make more sense of it but in effect, people are describing what life is like on the other side. And the descriptions that they come up with are very similar to the descriptions that we get from people who have the near-death experience. There's also very detailed descriptions of the afterlife that comes through in the mediumship literature and the literature of automatic writing, And most interesting of all is a book called The Road to Immortality, written in 1932. It was through automatic writing by an Irish automatic writer named Gerald Deedon Cummins, supposedly dictated to her by Frederick Myers, the great psychical researcher who wrote the classic book, Human Personality and Its Survival After Death. He died in 1902. So after being in the afterlife for some 30 years, he began to, through this automatic writing process, describe in great detail what the afterlife is all about. And I think it's one of the best uh, examples that we have of uh, the possibility that we can begin to explore these afterlife regions much in the way people in the 14th, 15th, 16th century began exploring a new continent.
0: Yeah. You also talk about um, somebody playing chess with someone in your essay.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Again, one of the very most impressive cases, I call it the chess game from beyond the grave. And this is a case where a, a researcher thought if we could get a deceased chess player working through a medium to play a game of chess with a living chess master, wouldn't that be strong evidence for survival after death? So he knew a medium and he said, can't you have your spirit guide ask around to see if there are any deceased chess masters around who would be willing to play a game? And and he enlisted the help of Victor Korchnoi, who was at the time ranked the number two chess player in the world. And they got uh, a deceased spirit speaking in, through the medium in Hungarian and later in German, a fellow named Gáza Maroxi, who had died in 1953, as I recall. This is in the 1980s, so we're talking, you know, 30 years later. And, and, and he's saying, sure, I'll play uh, Korchnoi in chess, and so <laughs> This game lasted for six or seven years because Korchnoi's traveling all over the world, and they have to do it move by move and communicate the moves through the mail. Uh, but people have studied the chess game. Korchnoi won, but barely he he was uh, almost defeated by the deceased Maroxy and if you examine the moves in detail, as some chess players have done. You can see that Meroxy's game of chess was played the way a chess master who, who had died in 1953 would have played the game. Of course, there have been new uh, developments in the game of chess over the decades. So they uh, also determined that n- none of the chess playing computers could have mimicked that game at that time. So, and furthermore, Maroxi, speaking through the uh, medium, Robert Rollins was the name of the medium, who didn't know how to play chess at all, (laughs) uh, gave dozens and dozens of intimate details about his personal life, things that were very hard for the researchers even to verify. They had to get a professional librarian to go through all the records of different chess games and, and so on, and the information turned out to be like 99% accurate, uh, very obscure details of, of Maroxi's life. So that case alone is overwhelmingly uh, evidential of uh, not just the survival of memories, but the survival of a, a learned skill, chess playing. That's not something you can readily duplicate.
0: Yeah, that to me is fascinating. It's a it's, uh... Mind-boggling. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, other ways, and you brought this up because I'm looking at your nine areas here. Um, other ways have to do uh, with electronic communication. Um, what is direct radio voice? And
2: This is yeah, yeah. A direct radio voice is an example of where you turn tune your radio to the space between the stations where it's just white noise. So you got white noise coming through the radio. And at that point, uh, you may hear voices coming through and Uh, If you're gifted now I do think it takes a certain amount of mediumistic talent to do this it's not there are 10s of (laughs) 1000s of hobbyists who do it, but the very best evidence of which I'm aware was produced by a woman named Annabella Cardoso in Portugal. She was a diplomat. She uh, was a charged affairs in the Portuguese embassies in Japan and in India. I think she also uh, worked in the United States. She was a very high-level diplomat. And uh, she began experimenting with this, and uh, it turned out she had enormous talent. And people have observed her. Uh, interacting researchers have watched her she's even published scientific studies in, in different journals working in a uh, high-tech laboratory completely radio shielded so that it couldn't be any extraneous voices and when you're having a when you've got a radio which is only a one-way instrument you're a, a radio receiver not a sender but you're able to have a two-way conversation <laughs> with a voice coming through the radio that addresses you in your childhood name and talks about you with uh, events from your childhood and identifies itself as your deceased parent and other people <laughs> can listen in on the conversation and recognize that it is clear and distinct and unmistakable that's very strong evidence
0: that's mind-boggling um i have had people on the show i had a woman on the show a while back who whose husband had passed to the other side and he would turn on the hairdryer in the bathroom because that was kind of a joke between them and she'd be in the kitchen or somewhere and the hairdryer would come on and it would just go and go and go until she went in there and then it'd turn off, right? You know, well,
2: yeah. well, a lot of these things occur spontaneously, and frankly, one of the strongest cases I'm aware of was reported by Michael Shermer, who is the editor of the Skeptical Inquirer. He's a professional <laughs> skeptic, and uh, he got married <laughs> several years ago. His wife was very sad because her deceased, I think father or grandfather, wasn't able to be there at the wedding. And so they they really, she missed him and she wanted him to be there. And she was expressing that when he had a, a radio, an old portable radio sitting in a drawer somewhere. And as she's complaining that the grandfather uh, couldn't be at the wedding, the radio came on spontaneously by itself at that moment and was playing a song which happened to have been that grandfather's favorite song.
0: That's lovely.
2: Yeah. And I'll give credit to Michael Shermer, who remains a skeptic. I mean, that's his position in life. (laughs) but, But he reported that event, quite honestly.
0: Yeah. I often think that many people get these kinds of messages, and often people will say to me, Loretta, this thing happened, or I heard that song, or there was this incident, or... Uh, the smell or whatever, do you think that they're communicating with me?
2: Yeah, yeah. These are called after-death communications. They are very common, uh, and uh, sometimes it's really blatant. I've interviewed several people who lost loved ones this way, and the communications were so overwhelming that they ended up becoming professional trance mediums. Uh, One of these people, Karen uh, McCarthy, was a war correspondent, a really hard-boiled journalist who was used to going into war zones and and reporting completely materialistic. Now, today, she's a spiritualist medium.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, What is a physical medium for people that don't know? Mm -hmm.
2: The physical mediumship is uh, much rarer. Uh, it's been reported now for over 150 years, and this is where a medium will go into trance and physical phenomenon occur. The strongest of these phenomena would be what we call complete spiritual materialization, where a spiritual entity appears in the flesh or in, in, in physical form, enough so that they can be photographed, enough so that people can touch them, shake their hands and sometimes they'll disappear right in front of everybody's eyes. In fact, the journalist, Leslie Kane, who's written the book, Surviving Death, uh, joined one of these physical mediumship circles and personally witnessed and reported on such materializations, as well as other things, levitations, direct voice, where um, voices are heard all around the room, In which the medium is the voices of other people and uh, something called uh, they they use what they call trumpets, which are like megaphones in these seances, the megaphone may start uh, lifting up spontaneously flying around the room, while voices are coming out of it. In, in these seances. So also ectoplasm appears, yeah. which is like a smoky uh, substance. It's, not, it's poorly understood, but it can be photographed. Uh, many times it's been photographed and it sort of exudes from the medium's body. And sometimes then the ectoplasm turns into a, a materialized uh, person, or at least part of a materialized person, like a hand or a face.
0: Have you been to any any of those things those demonstrations those physical mediumship I, presentations You know
2: I, <laughs> I, I was I was at one such demonstration many years ago and it was completely fraudulent.
0: No. <laughs> so. Thank you. I I wanted to kind of bring that up because some people yeah. I know listening are going, "Oh, that's hokey." But there's real there there are real things out there, people. I I'm, I'm just letting you know, yeah. right? There yeah,
2: there, is, there are People who will try to make a dollar out, out of faking these things. And yeah. it's uh, unfortunately, it's given mediumship a bad name. And you. if, if you're inclined to being skeptical, it's easy to dismiss these things because they're so bizarre and so unbelievable. But I've researched psychokinesis and physical phenomena, mostly associated with UFOs. But I know that these things are real. And I, I subscribe to. Uh, the viewpoint expressed by UFO researcher Jacques Vallée, that we need to pay attention to the most bizarre phenomenon that you might say when you hear about these things, it simply can't be true. I refuse to believe it. But those are the things we need to pay the most attention to.
0: Yeah, I agree with that, by the way. And and thank you. I wanted to bring that point out, and you you did it so beautifully. Um, I would love to talk more about UFOs. I'm watching our our time. I would love to talk about that. Um, But I want to come back to a, a couple of questions. What is the price that we pay for ignoring the survival of consciousness?
2: This is crucial. If you go back to the origins of philosophy itself, Socrates used to say, know thyself. Well, knowing thyself means understanding that your consciousness will survive the death of your body and to the extent that our culture studiously pretends that there is no such valid information we are denying the possibility of self-awareness in this area and it's it's a terrible thing and i'll, yeah. I'll go further and say that if the human race wants to join the community of space-faring civilizations in our galaxy we obviously have to understand hyperspace because you have to be able to travel faster than the speed of light if, if you're in a human body and you want to reach out into the stars. And to understand hyperspace, you have to understand the relationship between consciousness and what I called mind at large earlier and hyperspace and also survival of consciousness if if the afterlife exists it exists somewhere and the most logical place is in hyperspace higher dimensions of space than the 3 we normally experience with our senses so uh, this is a whole new continent uh, worthy of our exploration and it's a continent where we're going to discover not only the potential for interstellar space travel, but we'll discover our own true nature.
0: That's beautiful. Um, where can people find you? Where can they read your essay? And uh, tell us a little bit about why this winning this competition is important, what you hope will happen. Well, uh,
2: it was described by ABC News as possibly the biggest essay competition Ever, I won $500,000 as the grand prize to answer the deepest question ever about survival after death. So it, it's very significant in, in that sense. And people can find me through New Thinking Aloud. That's A L L O W E D. And New Thinking Aloud is all one word. If you go to New Thinking Aloud, You'll come to my YouTube channel. I've put up over a 1,000 videos uh, on that channel, uh, mostly dealing with parapsychology, which includes life after death and all of the related implications in psychology, philosophy, health, science, and spirituality.
0: Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Um, Jeffrey, it has been such a pleasure to have you here. We have like 30 seconds. Any last thing you would like the audience to take with them today?
2: The message that I get from people who have visited the afterlife is very simple. Love everyone all the time. Yeah, that's it.
0: Thank you so much. This is Loretta Brown, my guest Jeffrey Mishlove, PhD. And do check out Thinking Aloud. A-L-L-O-W-E-D. has got a lot of great things. So much love. Thank you so much. Everybody have a great week. Enjoy um, the new moon. Don't get into trouble. <laughs>